Welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. In this episode, we catch up with Eric to hear about his experience running the Delirium Ultra 24-hour run last weekend. He discusses the highs and lows of his nearly 24-hour running and tells us whether he's daring enough to do it all over again next year. Thanks for listening. I think it needs to be a little bit louder. Delirium Ultra! Delirium Ultra! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls and a CPA. And my name's Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife and currently being stared at by his beautiful dog. (laughs) (laughs) Who has a bladder infection. She has a bladder infection. So I may have to hop up and let her out for a couple minutes here. All right. That might have been too much information. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was going to add that you're also a finisher of the Delirium 24, the 2022 edition. Congrats, man. I appreciate it. It was a it was a really good experience. I think we might end up talking about it a little bit. I think it's going to be the primary focus of our conversation today is hearing all about the, the various uh, challenges you face and how you met and overcame them over the course of the 24 hours, man. So I'm excited about that. And I look forward to hearing your race report here. Before we do that, let's go around the horn real quick. Michelle, what you up to? I'm up to probably similar to you, uh, getting ready to head out to Asheville this weekend to run this uh iconic (laughs) uphill uh however many thousand feet possible of climbing you can do in 18 miles uh yeah a little upset the weather looks like it's turning pretty warm but i guess everybody who's running indy this weekend in new york city has a similar forecast so it's just a, a hot weekend for november all over a hot weekend for november I mean, you and I are going to be running in like mid 60s. I think we'll be okay. No. <laughs> well, I said to you before the podcast came on, the 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 one silver lining perhaps is that it clears up any uh any questions about what it is you're going to wear. I mean, the last few trail races I've done, I've had to wear like jackets and multiple layers and gloves and hats and and we've talked a great deal already about Mountain Mist, how it was 14 degrees at the start, the coldest start they'd ever had when I did that earlier this year. So for me, throwing on a shirt and some shorts, that's great with me. <laughs> I can, I'm down with singlets and shorts. I just like the idea of going to the mountains in November and it's chilly and you wear lots of layers and then maybe you're going <clears> to <throat> run and long sleeves and by the time you get to the first aid station you can take off your shirt but you know it'll be it'll be fine that feels like a really specific vision michelle (laughs) oh i i I think we've we've discussed at length my preferred temperature for running and that's exactly you know what you would wear on a race day at that temperature so all right very good very good well well Hopefully we will, you, you'll still have plenty of opportunities to, to hang out by fires and, and, and enjoy 
cool temperatures and all that sort of thing over the yeah. course of the next short while here. So uh, I, I did finally okay. uh, settle on a pair of new Solomon shoes that I really like. So I'm I'm at least happy to really the shoes are the most important thing, I think. So yeah, <laughs> I could I could not settle on a pair of shoes. And so I'm going to fall back on the old fateful Adidas Terex Speed Ultras. So we'll see how they go. I am not up. bringing my <laughs> Adidas Terex Speed Ultras. <laughs> we'll see I'm how they go. Proud of Michelle for finally deciding on a pair of shoes. I mean, this was like waiting for a princess to get dressed, you know, to go out to dinner or something. I, I this this process has been so painful, just to well, watch, listen to. Th this princess, referring to myself, I have still yet to find the uh, the perfect pair of shoes, both for Mountain Mist and for for Shut In. And so I know that I don't want to wear the Atsus at at uh, Mountain Mist, but I'm wearing them for Shut In. We'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully, it won't be as technical as Mountain Mist was and will be. So we will see. We will see. I uh, want to try the VJ Ultra and the whatever the VJ shoe is for snow and ice. Mm -hmm. The one that actually has spikes on the bottom of it. Well, it's like you have a few days a year here where it's treacherous to go run because there's black ice everywhere. And it'd be so cool to have a pair of shoes and just be confident that I wasn't going to kill myself on the Vista Road. Going I don't know, man. $200 on a pair of shoes to run in a couple of days a year. Yeah. I don't feel like we're the target audience for that. I don't feel like they're marketing that to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I think that's like, like the upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, that's not us. That's not us, but you know, you do you though. They were cool looking pair of shoes. And so I, I'm on board with that uh, by all means. Um, Eric, besides recovering from the race, we're going to hear all about here in just a minute. What else you been up to? Uh, not a whole lot coaching runners. I've got three runners running the city of Oaks marathon this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, grace, Melissa, and, um, a high school student I coached, uh, Alex. Mm -hmm. So pretty excited about all of them. Um, Alex, uh, he's new to the whole marathon scene. I mean, he's, he's run a couple of good halves. I think he might've done one marathon before. To, to be, to be clear, you said a high school student that you coached and coached. so he's not in he high is, school anymore. No, he is now a okay. Furman student. So yes, that's a good point. Yeah. And historically I coached him in high school. Now he's a, now he's in college at Furman. So I'm just, I'm excited to see how they all do. Uh, Grace and Melissa, I think it's going to become a competitive fun run, which means <laughs> that they start out having fun and then it becomes competitive mm -hmm. as the race goes on. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll say this, Grace is in phenomenal <clears throat> shape. Uh, and she's starting to see that. Um, and Melissa, she's been putting in the miles and I think she's ready to, to, uh, to run along with grace. I, I think grace has got the edge, um, just based on pure mileage, but then, um, Melissa definitely has the, uh, mental capacity. To, I was going to say, you know, your wife is pretty gritty. She's always yeah. struck me as somebody who, uh, <laughs> so I think, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. I hope that they just, I hope that they don't push too hard though. Um, but the weather is supposed to be phenomenal, just like it will be for you guys. Um, Melissa really likes the warm weather. I think Grace performs a little bit better in the warm weather because mm -hmm. of her, um, her issues with cold weather. So I think, you know, last year at the end of the race, Grace used Melissa's phone to call me because Melissa was so cold and I don't think her fingers worked at the time. Um, so it's, it's a welcome difference for the city of Oaks. And then I've got James, who's in the first of two weeks of, uh, of his to peer to get ready for the Richmond Marathon. Uh, so, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Have I've heard good that? things about the Richmond Marathon. And this, and 
I'll say this is the marathon that kind of uh, introduced James and I, um, because I knew of him. He knew of me through Lee and then his wife, Christy, who works with Lee and I, uh, Lee, friend of the podcast, Ragsdale. But it wasn't until he went out to run a three-hour marathon and he ran a 302 that he <laughs> he really became, uh, you know, a, a runner of mine. So, so yeah. And now he's what, like a, like a 254 marathoner or something, isn't he? 256. Right on. Um, and I, I think on the Richmond course and with the training he's been doing, we've, we've amped up his training a little bit um, with some more specificity. And um, he's, done, he's done some work uh, just physically with his, I guess, his eating habits and whatnot. Um, last he told me he dropped 10 pounds. And his, his wife said he is svelte. That was the the word she felt used yesterday. Christy Christy told me yesterday. Oh yeah, he's felt. So I'm sure when James listens to this, he'll he'll enjoy that. So so I'm I'm excited. He's excited. Uh, this is also one of the first uh, training blocks he's gone without some big injury. Oh great! To a That's hamstring exciting. or a knee. So things are lining up. I don't want to I don't want to jinx anything. Wooden desk, knocking on wood. But I, things are lining up for him. That that could be an this could be an exciting. Um, marathon unfortunately awesome. it's not a big one so i can't track them <laughs> through the whole thing but i think it'll be exciting wait richmond has tracking i think well then i'm mistaken and i will be able to track <laughs> I, I do think i mean don't i do i definitely think you have you can track him if okay it's... so you might yeah you might get a couple of splits you won't necessarily get the tracking that you get at like the big huge yeah, city marathons not... where it's like that's what every I mean. 5k and stuff that's but, what i mean but, i'm not gonna get, get the 5k splits we got from george to where mm -hmm. i get nervous because he misses a split by five forget about george. oh dude I, I was gonna say you, 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 we had a you, your nervousness about not seeing a split <laughs> pales in comparison oh, to Michelle's. So. That was sarcasm pointed at Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> One second. London did better than just give us splits. We watched George move on the little thing. Oh yeah. It had the, the, the virtual. Like we light. saw you. Yeah. 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 That's been, um, when you ran Boston, they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And and that's an estimate. But in fact, if you carry your phone with you, I didn't carry mine with me, but if you carry a phone with you, it'll actually use the location services on your phone to track you and be even more precise about exactly where you are on the course. I don't so, want that. Cool. So, so yeah, another I, reason why I don't run marathons. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, the New York City Marathon is this weekend, as uh, as Michelle and Eric both just mentioned. Um, uh, Justin Dugan, friend of the podcast, who comes on to talk about cycling at least once a year, uh, successfully finished the uh, Marine Corps Marathon this past weekend uh, in the push assist division, pushing Justin Knight. Um, and what better way to recover from a marathon than to run <laughs> another marathon? And so he is turning around this weekend and running the New York City Marathon uh, once again in the push assist division, um, not with with Justin Knight uh, this time. Um, I can't remember who it was that he's actually going to be with this time, but um, good luck to, uh, to to Justin Dugan, of course. Um, and congratulations um, to, to Stephanie Cohen, who successfully completed the uh, Ironman World Championship 70.3. Um, in St. George this past weekend, and to Jacqueline Nasser, who uh, was also in the push assist division of the Marine Corps Marathon this past weekend, pushing Bentley Grace Hicks. Um, they ended up having a really, really good race as well. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 fun 
Fall is great, man. Q4, you have all these races. Like every weekend, there's stuff going on. The weather is nice. The running is perfect. The views are beautiful. So fall's the best. (laughs) I'm excited to go to Asheville this weekend, Michelle. Whether in the 60s or not. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Eric, Delirium 24, man. Congratulations once again. You are currently, and folks can't see this, but you are currently wearing the shirt, the hat, and the medal. You think he wanted to talk about his experience. Or I, I, I am here for it. Um, I'm going to assume that you have been wearing the shirt, the medal, and the hat 
nonstop since you crossed the finish line. Like, not that you put them on specifically for this conversation, but we're just seeing it because, you know, you've been wearing them since then, right? I, no, that is that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> However, I did. So last night I put them on right before we took the dogs for a walk and it's nighttime. So it's completely pitch black. And Melissa's like, really? Are, are you going to go outside like that? Like, oh yeah, I'm going to go outside like that. And it was good because we, we, there was one car coming down the street and they turned off, they turned up the driveway before they got to us. And then, you know, we got the dogs and we turned the corner and we start coming back and we see this guy walking down the street in the opposite direction. And Melissa's like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And of course I made a big point to say, Hey man, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Were you actually wearing the metal? Damn straight. All right. All right. That's great. And as I mean, he's you said coming you put down it street, all on, I didn't know if you meant the hat and the shirt and the metal or just the, oh, hat no, no, and the no. shirt. As he's coming down the street, a car was coming up behind him. So he got to see like the flash of the metal, oh, you know. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. This is inspiring to me. Um, I, I'm, I don't think there are finisher medals at the shut-in ridge run that we're doing this past or this coming weekend but if there are i'm definitely going to wear it for the rest of the day including if and when i go out to dinner with michelle on saturday night <laughs> i think i have saturday night plans but whatever we can talk about saturday it. night plans with me sucker <laughs> you have okay whatever we <laughs> sucker. um okay we need to talk about delirium because i actually have a legitimate like a really good question that i don't even know the answer to I want to know how you came to the decision to run this race, because my recollection is you are not running. You're out with an injury. We're trying to convince you that you're going to be OK. And you also have to be in Alabama in January to run a 50K with us. And then all of a sudden you're signed up for this like 24 hour ultra in November, but or in late October, even though you can't run. Let me introduce you to my friend, Eric. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Who goes from one? I'm injured and can't run to signed up for 24 hour race or something similar on the reg. <laughs> okay. But this is, there's the 50 milers and the 50 K and the hundreds with grace. Like this is a different race altogether. So I want to know what led to the decision to sign up for this race. So I, I think we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, and you set it up correctly. I signed up for this before I was actually back to running. I was actually cycling, I believe at the time. And what happened was I was looking at the fact, you know, what's going to happen after Blue Ridge before we do um, Mountain Mist. And, and I looked at my training calendar and I had, you know, I've got a Jingle Bell 5K and I've got a Thanksgiving run. And I said, I need to, I need something else. And at the time, I don't know that you guys were aware of this, but I didn't think the 12 hour race that I usually do a week after uh, Blue Ridge was going to happen because it hadn't been posted and um, there was no zero communication on it. So with, with that all running around in my head, I was like, well, I need to find something else in that time frame, and I need to make it smarter than one week after Blue Ridge, the Blue Ridge relay. So I just, I look back at some... if, if you if you have the choice to do a race that's not only one week later, you should probably correct. exercise that choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct. <laughs> so I so I looked back at other races that I I had heard about, and uh, our friend Brett, who lives in South Carolina, had done the Delirium Ultra before. So I looked up the Delirium Ultra, and it looked interesting. And I said, "All right, I'm going to sign up for it." 
and I don't know if I signed up for it right before Brett did or Brett signed up for it right before I did, but I didn't tell anybody because I was injured and I, I didn't know that I was going to be able to run it. And I was not going to start making plans for after Blue Ridge when I may have been incapacitated after Blue Ridge because I was running Blue Ridge whether I could or not. When, um, when is this? Like what month is this? I can't shoot. Uh, it's like I, July, right? I want to say I signed up for this in May. Okay. The All end right. of May. All so right. this is, this is way before yeah. I was back into training. Um, but with all those other things kind of lining up, I said, all right, I'll, I'll try this. And Brett has always said really good things about Tim Waz. He's the director of the race. Brett has always said really good things about the race. So I said, you know, Hey, this is a good one. Um, the other option would have been the, uh, Henson 24, but it's, I think two weeks after, after Blue Ridge. So Lake Henson 24 is another good one, but it's like, I think it's two weeks after Blue Ridge. So that one, I didn't want to try that either. Um, so, so that's, that's essentially how it came about, Michelle. And the reason you didn't know about it is because I didn't want to say anything to anybody until I knew I wanted to, you know, I was going to be able to do it, which is really funny because Brett's telling everybody, oh yeah, I signed up for delirium, blah, 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 blah. And I think a few months later, he checks the results. He's like, wait a minute. Right. And yeah, he I, saw I, you listed yeah. in the entry. I, I, I found out that Eric was doing the race from Brett posting it on our Blue Ridge Relay text thread saying, saying, Eric signed up for this race. Awesome. We get to do a 24 hour race together in, in uh, late October, <laughs> early November. So, right. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, does so, that answer your question, Michelle? I mean, it, yes, it's I not, very much appreciate it's not as you dumb back. as it, it's not as dumb as it looks because it was more of a, I need something in there. I, I need a race in there prior to mountain mist that is testing me and i've always wanted to do a, a hundred miler or a 24 hour on my own you know not supporting another runner so this this checked all the boxes so just to be clear the first time it ever came up in our text thread was august 4th <laughs> and george just like threw you under the bus and was like <laughs> yeah he's doing a 24 hour race the week before <laughs> Okay, what are you talking about, George? <laughs> he See, told the Blue Ridge relay thread. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but but he, but even even he didn't tell us, and and I I dare say that the the six of us on that thread, like we're we're besides Grace and Melissa, we are Eric's closest running confidants, um, and so the fact that he didn't tell us, um, I think shows you the degree to which it was a secret. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the only reason Melissa knows is because we share that email address. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly, exactly. Um, so. But I, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, with within reason, of course. I think there's something to be said to for signing up for a race when you're injured and you can't run. Um, you know, literally the very first podcast, very first most pleasant exhaustion podcast, episode one. Um, was when I was injured um, and I was talking about the psychology of the prevented athlete um, and about how emotional it is and how difficult it is and all that sort of thing. I think that one way of giving yourself a ray of hope is, is to actually sign up for a race. Um, I think that's a good thing. Um, not coincidentally, maybe two months later, I, I had already signed up for the New York City Marathon. And even though I was still injured, 
I, uh, I was, I was entered in that race. So, so yeah, I'm on board. Um, Eric, tell us about the setup of the race. Like, um, it's 24 hours, but tell us exactly what that means and, and how they measured it and all that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a six, 12 and 24 hour race. And that's important uh, when you get into it. And this was a new venue for the race. Uh, they, they had to move venues. I don't know why, but, uh, they found this, um, this family farm where they set it up this year. And I, I want to, I'm going to try to figure out if, uh, the name of the, the gentleman and, and, and wife who let them set up on the farm because they were phenomenal. Another part of the story, but, um, and the course is laid out pretty much on the perimeter of the farm. And when you think I shouldn't, when you think farm, you think like, like, um, ag like this was just forest surrounding what maybe used to be a farm field that was really just overgrown with weeds and such in the middle of it so there was some wooded section but then there was a section where they had just bush hogged the edge of the quote-unquote farm which was essentially a deer hunting ground um, because on the corners you know sort of the corners of the field were deer stands so this isn't a this isn't what you would call a uh, it's not like we were running around a cornfield. So, right. Right. Um, it was, it was the Mitchell family, by the way. Ah, yes. Okay. So, and, um, and, uh, and they, uh, the husband at least ran the race. They were both out yeah. there. Um, the husband ran the race and he was hilarious. He's a, he's an ultra runner. He's been doing these for a while. And his thought was we can keep doing this here. And he wants to keep the, the course, uh, out there. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but so it's a it's a 1.65 mile loop. Um, the majority of it was on that bush hogged surface surface, and bush hogged is just you know basically a really uh, low cut weeds, um, and then around the weeds for the most part was that really fine dark gray sand that you find you know in beach areas, um, and then in the wooded section and. That was pretty good around the field, but then back in the wooded section, the ground was really uneven in spots. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't run that section. I think I ran it one lap, but I didn't run it any other laps. And then there was about a third of a mile that was on a road, not, not a hard pack, not an asphalt road, just hard pack sand road, you know, grass strip down the middle. And that went by the start finish and it went by the aid station and it went by the tents and all that. And then you kind of pop back off of that into the trail that went around the field. And it was, it was wide enough to drive a car down. This wasn't a, a trail. The whole mm -hmm. course was wide enough to drive probably two cars, most of it. So it was, I, I would say it was, the course was deceptively difficult, but it was well done. It was okay. well done for an ultra. Very good. So, Very good. Did, yeah. What time did it start? So it's a 8 a.m. start Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll just, I'll go ahead and hit a couple other things. The weather was phenomenal. Uh, it was, you know, I think our high was 67 ish and our low was 59, 60. Similar the to the weather that we have this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I'll say this, the, you know, the, the trick about that weather is 67 and running, you're in short sleeves and shorts. 60 and dark it's and cold. moist if you stop moving you get cold really fast yeah so 
one of the things I, I spent a lot of time thinking about, and I think I nailed it for this race is how am I going to maintain body temperature when I'm walking and running? Okay. Um, so, cause you don't want to get overly sweaty while you're running. And then when you're walking, get chilled. And then how am I going to deal with that if it doesn't work out the way it does? And, you know, so I can talk about that in a minute. So, but that was, that was the weather it did mist, uh, during the race. It did, um, it did get really humid and almost like running through fog a couple of times. And, and then about 15 minutes after we left it poured for the last three or four hours of the race. Mm. So it, it got kind of ugly. Um, Brett and I did not make, so I'll just, you know, uh, ex explanation. We did not make it to the end of the 24 hours. Um, and, but it, it turned out to not be a bad thing. But so, you don't have to, according no. to a 24 hour race, it just starts at 8 AM and finishes at 8 AM. And, and you can run one lap if you want to, or you can run nonstop for that entire 24 hours if you want to. So, right. so it's not as if you have to cross the finish line at 8 AM the following day. Right. No. no and this is an interesting thing though. Um, uh, and I, I didn't ask Tim about this. Um, and I, maybe I've already mentioned this. Tim is a phenomenal individual and I'll, talk a little bit about what I mean by that later, but, um, I think he wanted you to start the race at 8 AM. You could finish whenever you wanted, but he wanted you to start the race at 8 AM. I've been at other races where you can start at noon for, for the 8 AM race and I just start registering laps. I think his, his thought was you had to be there at the start. Mm -hmm. So that's, you, you know, if you're going to do a 24 hour, I would say, make sure you understand that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that's pretty much the setup, you know, uh, it wasn't, bad weather. It wasn't a bad surface. Um, and I'll say that, well, I'll say this too, that the people that run this race, it's funny. There were so many of them that we see at Peyton's and there were so many of them that Grace and I met at the Charleston 100 and none of them remembered me. However, as soon as I said, I'm Grace's father, the teenager with the braid. Oh, <laughs> you're Grace's dad. There you so go. They, they did remember Grace. So. Very good. Very good. Take us to that first lap, man. So, so 8 a.m., everybody's there. Um, they fire the gun or they blow the horn or whatever it is that they did. Um, and, uh, and, and you take off. How you feeling? What's in your mind? What you wearing? What shoes do you have on? Oh, this is good. So we, first off, Brett and I decided on the way to the race, and actually the night before, I think we talked about it, that we were going to run together for at least a portion of the race. So we came up with a plan to run a mile and walk 0.65. And it just so happened to be laid out such that the uh, one mile was right before that section that went through the woods. That was kind of ugly. I would say the, the poor surface. So we ended up walking through that instead of running through that. And when I say walking, um, it's important to note that we were walking, you know, 13 minute miles, pretty, pretty good clip, right? Uh, for, especially for off-road. So we were running around nine minute pace and then walking around 13 minute pace for that 0.65. Um, and we had planned to do that as long as we could. So that first lap though, you know, it's 150 people. I think Brett said we're supposed to be out there. I'm not really sure if it looked like that or not. I can't remember, but that was the six, 12 and 24 hour, uh, racers. And we just, we just took off and started going and, um, you know, uh, learning the course, you know, the first thing I thought was 
the, there was about a mile of that road, but we turned off of it at a, at a quarter mile from the start finish. And the first thing I thought of is why didn't we just stay on the road? <laughs> like it's such a much better surface. Cause as soon as you get off that, you get all those grass tufts and that, that, that gray sandy stuff. But, um, but yeah, um, the course is, you know, kind of rolling and then you kind of go down a hill to the bottom corner. And I think there's a, about a half mile climb then. And I say climb, it's a pretty low grade climb, but it is about a half mile climb, um, right before you get to that wooded section. And then we walked through the wood section and when we finished that first lap, I think we were 17, 18 minutes and we said, yeah, this feels good. So let's keep doing it. And we did that for about three hours. Um, you said, what was I wearing? So because it was dry, because the surface wasn't so bad, I did wear my new balance, uh, fuel cell, super comp trainers, um, turned out to be a really good shoe for many reasons and a bad shoe for a couple of reasons, but I, I wore that the entire race. Okay. Uh, so you said last week that you didn't really have a time goal, that your goal was just to keep running and, and kind of get to 24 hours. And you just said that you went out, kind of learned the course and everything was kind of what it was for about three hours. So what happened? Like when, did you get to a point where you thought, well, maybe I need to adjust my expectation or maybe I need to change what we're doing? Like, was there a shift that took place while it was still daylight or? Uh, there was, and it was really a, a decision that Brett and I made together. Um, Brett noticed he felt like he was kind of holding me back. And then he also felt like the walk run wasn't working for him the way it was laid out. He wanted to do more switching between walking and running. Um, the interesting thing is when we did break up, so that the three hour point was kind of the first inflection point where we broke up. Um, he ended up running faster and I ended up running significantly faster, looping significantly faster. That's a big part of this. I did not measure anything by mile. I measured everything by lap. So I turned off the auto laps. I was wearing both of my watches, my chorus on the left and my Garmin on the right. And I turned off the auto lap. And then I just lapped them every time I came through the start finish. Um, and we both went faster. I went significantly faster. Um, and if you look at the, if you look at my Strava data, you can see it all of a sudden, if you look at the lap data, you can really see it all of a sudden I started going faster and it felt really good. And going back to the shoe for a second, the one thing I realized, the one section of the course I realized that I excelled at was that half mile uphill. And it was about this point when Brett and I split up that I realized it had nothing to do with how much energy I was putting into it. It just had to do with how off, how quickly I wanted to turn over my feet as to how fast I was going. So I ended up looking at my watch a couple of times going up that, and I was running like 810, 815 pace up that hill. And it sounded a little crazy, but I always felt great at the top. I always felt great through the whole thing. And I don't, I think there's two reasons why that was working out. One is walking doesn't use your climbing muscles as much. So even though I was power walking all of that time, I was resting those climbing muscles. And two, I think that shoe just suits me really well for a low grade climb. Uh, you land on the heel, the heel pops you up and then the rocker kind of form just gets you up on your toe and then you just do it again. And there's so much spring in that carbon plate and so much cushion in that heel that it just sort of, I don't know. It really moved me up the hill. Um, 
at the at the 17 hour point um i was in fifth place and the sixth place runner finally had caught up with me and we had been going back and forth but i'd been in front of him for about two hours and at this point i was starting to slow down and that was more like the 19 hour point 18 or 19 hour point this inconsequential but he looked at me and he said he said wow it looks like you're kind of struggling and i said yeah he said you looked just great he's like you looked great just a couple of hours ago and thanks. yeah i know i was like thanks but what he was talking about was every time that he could catch up with me i would just leave him i'd put like three minutes on him up that hill and i think i attribute it partly to the shoe and partly to all the the walking i was doing so some pretty some pretty low-key trash talk he was giving to there wow you looked really great a few hours back yeah. <laughs> now that you're in sixth place you look even better <laughs> you don't look so good now yeah. so i had one guy as i was going up the hill he looks at me and this is one of the guys who did 108 or 113 miles he looked at me as i was going up the hill and passing him. he's like man this is your jam and I, I said to him yeah i don't know what it is but I just feel really good going up the hill. What do you attribute that to now, now that you've had a few days to think about that? Uh, the same thing that I attributed to then and what I just said, the walking does not use your quads and your hamstrings the same way as the running. So they were not as worn out. So I could do it. And two, I think that shoe for my running style helps get me up hills. I've told you guys before that plated shoes help me get up hills. Uh, this is the first time I was like really testing it over a long period of time. And I'm convinced that that shoe helped me get up the hill. I know that sounds sign up for an uphill race, man. I think that I... needs to be your next race to sign up for a completely <laughs> entirely uphill race. Bottom <laughs> to top. And we're the super comp trainers. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know, George and I always talk about like when, when you're in these really long distance races, like the, the fine line between when do you actually just walk or power hike? you know, yeah. versus just try to keep running. And one of the reviews or one of the race reports that we, that I shared with him, or maybe he shared with me for shut in, you know, as a guy who's won it a bunch of times. And he said, I've won this race walking up the final two mile climb and I've lost it running up it. So yep. pretty, no, uh, I, a so way to save your legs. And I've, a, so I made a mistake in my Strava and George, you asked me about this. I made a mistake in my Strava because I had originally said it was my 50 mile PR, but it wasn't like I, I thought I had reached my 50 mile PR and I, I must have just totally blown like my my how I remembered. But when I ran the Southern Tour Ultra, I ran until I couldn't run anymore. And then I started walk running. I didn't go into it with a plan of run, run, walk. And then I ended up walking, stumbling at the end. This was all run, walk. What you'll notice during this, like if you looked at the two races, the when I started walking in the Southern Tour Ultra, it was clear that things were falling apart. I held on for almost 80 something miles in this race, pretty much a steady pace, actually increased pace multiple times during the race. So I would say that the, the walk run is, is a tactic However, and this is a big point I want to make, and I think I've already told both of you this, you can't, and we've talked about this before, you can't make your strategy for a race half walking and expect it to work out if you don't train walking. Hmm. And 
the the pain I have today and yesterday and what ended my race, it's nothing that's ever ended a race for me before or the pain I've ever had after a race. Backs of my knees never hurt. Um, and I've never gotten to the point in a race where I, I'm just stumbling, uh, trying to walk. And I think what happened was I made that a, a large part of the, you know, the, the large piece of my race strategy, but I didn't train for it. Um, I mentioned like clothing, like I, I train for the clothing I'm going to wear. I, I wear stuff and make sure it works. And this was, you know, you asked about what I wore. I was t-shirt shorts, cab sleeves, thigh, um, thigh sleeves, you know, and then the shoes. And then I, I went to arm sleeves with the short sleeve shirt. And then I took the arm sleeves and the short sleeve shirt off and I went to a long sleeve shirt. And then eventually when things slowed down, I threw a jacket on. You know, that all worked out perfectly. I was never overly sweaty. I was never overly cold. That all worked out perfectly. Um, the terrain didn't really bother me too much. The, I don't think the, the pacing wasn't off. My hydration and fueling was perfect. I never felt tired. Um, I never felt dehydrated. But the walking just destroyed me. And, and I, I wonder sometimes if those shoes are really good for running, but they're not good for walking. <laughs> and I say that because in that technical section, like the one piece I have in that technical section, I probably rolled my ankles every lap, at least one ankle every lap. And on a few of the laps, I rolled an ankle two or three times. Brett rolled his ankle on the very first lap. Uh, just to give you, it wasn't just me is what I'm trying to say, but you know, a really large stack height shoe that has a channel down the middle separating the, the cushioning on both sides of the shoe does not have good. Um, it doesn't have the kind of rigidity you need if you stepped on a little bit of a camber. Um, and just over and over and over of doing that with a pair of shoes, even if you're walking, I'm sure that takes a toll on your knees. Um, so, but the, the point of the thing is that the training that I didn't do was fast walking and I think yeah. I paid for it. Yeah. So I actually yeah. made a comment during the race. I, I told this lady, I said, she's like, how are you doing? And I said, I said, you know, I'm starting to, I'm starting to slow down. I was still running at the time. I was at 80 something miles. And I said, I said I'm, I'm starting to slow down, but I've calculated my BBB and I'm good. And she's like, what's the BBB? Right? <laughs> I said, it's the belt buckle buffer. And because of this race, if you get to a hundred miles, you get a belt buckle. And she's like, well, what is that? And I said, I've never been in a race where I can't walk a 15 minute mile. So I just look at the number of hours left in the race. And I say, can I do 15 minute miles and still get to a hundred miles? And she said, oh, that's brilliant. She goes, how are you doing? I said, I've got a big 10% buffer right now and it's going up. So I feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. That did not work. I was gonna say you didn't get to a hundred. Right. Spoiler alert, you didn't get to a hundred. No. And yeah. if you look at the last mile that I walked, actually the last point six eight that I walked, it took me twenty-four minutes. <laughs> I, mean, it's like, I knew at that point that I wasn't gonna go back out on course and do a 45 minute lap. Either I was gonna just get so mad and turn around and start walking back, or I was gonna sit down because I I, I couldn't walk anymore. So that that walking that I was doing destroyed me. And I, I, if I'm going to make that part of my strategy in the future, I need to make that part of my training. I think but that's important. I think, I think you're totally right about that. As much as the walking destroyed you, it did get you to 94 miles. So do you think uh, that you'd keep the walking, but you would just incorporate it more into the training? 
Yeah. Because yes. 100%. you did have to stop at 94. Right. You got the, there. <laughs> over the last three days and during the, you know, especially during the four hour drive home and, and all that, I've been thinking through how do you incorporate that into your training? And seems really annoying. Yeah. It does. And Melissa said, yeah, you can ask one of the other old guys in the neighborhood and you guys can walk around the neighborhood together. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and I said, I said, Oh, thank you. One of the other old guys. You know, she's, she's laughing. No, I, and I, but I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, do I incorporate it into a long run? You know, and that just makes like Brett, Brett made the comment after the race. He said, you know, we can't, expect to compete with these guys that are 10, 15 years younger than us, or even the same age that are running hundred miles a week. Cause we don't have the time for that. And the problem with adding that walking in is you have to have the time for it. Right. Right. And, and that, that makes things really difficult. But George, I think back to the, the comment you made to Prentice, our, our friend Prentice um, out in California, who's dealing with an injury. Friend of the podcast. He's been on friend here before of the podcast. running every street in San Francisco. Right. And I, and I think back to a conversation we had with Michelle just recently about fitness trumps all, but you still have to have that physical impact to the muscles and the tendons and the, the bones that that activity is going to impart in order to be able to withstand, especially ultra type distances or marathon type distances. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to figure out how to incorporate it because I don't think it's realistic to think I'm going to run a hundred miles. I just, I'm, I'm not there. In fact, the guys who won the race or the top five guys, they didn't run the whole way like that. That's just not, that's right. not reality. Right. I mean, I, th I, I think, okay, so I have two thoughts on that. And I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. The first thought that I have, um, and this is something that you will probably work out in practice over the course of the next short while here, is exactly how much walking is required mm -hmm. in training, right? Um, because because for one thing, it takes longer. And as the as a person who has spent a lot of time run walking, like I even went through a phase where that was just how I trained just to experiment yeah, with it and see how it went. Right. We've talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Um, I, I, I just would run. I'd be like, OK, I was out for an hour and 20 minutes. I don't really feel like I got anywhere during that period of time. And it was frustrating. Right. Um, and so so for sure. So what is the minimum amount of walking that you can incorporate into your training and still get the benefit of it necessary to physiologically adapt you to walking in a way that being unaccustomed to walking doesn't force you to finish your race early. Right. So what's the answer to that? You're asking a question. Is that just, yeah. A question yeah and I'm you? saying, I'm saying, I don't, I don't think we know the answer. And that's something that I want you to come up with the answer to over the course of the next year. I'm on it. I'm on it. Thanks. <laughs> um, um, that, that that's the first thought that I have because, because you don't want to spend all your time walking. Right. I, no. I think if you were to say, oh, okay, well, walking is clearly something I need to work on. And so from now on, every other time I go out the door, I'm going to walk rather than run. That's too much. Then you'd be sacrificing too much fitness. You'd be compromising too much fitness building time in order to, to try and do the specificity of walking. So that's too much, right? You want to do the minimum yep. you possibly can. Yep. Um, is that, 10% is that 50? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. Is right? it 10% by distance? Is it 10% by time? Right. right. You know, and I'm going to throw the other, you know, wrench in this. It's what's the maximum amount of riding I can do? Mm -hmm. And what's the minimum amount of walking I have to do? Right. <laughs> because I'm not getting any younger. 
right? And, you know, there's, there are certain things that I can train with my walking, mm -hmm. but there's certain things that I can train with my riding, but then I still have to get the running piece in. Right. I can say this, I can do less running and do these events because I think you can, because I didn't suffer running. Mm -hmm. None of my running capacity limited me in this, this event. So, so I can do less. Um, and honestly, if, it, like, if anything, that's where you felt strongest going up that hill. That's where oh, everybody yeah. was like looking at you thinking that you were right. the, the leader of the race. Right. And phase phase. So I, I mentioned phase one and phase two, phase one was, um, running with Brett phase two was kind of running a little faster, but the same, same cycle, pretty much phase three was, uh, when I got to the point where I couldn't like run the whole one mile yet, I just started running up the hill. I walked everything, but the hill. And then later on in the race, I was like, well, there's other hills. So every little uphill I ran up those uphills, you know? And so you see, like, if you look at my Strava, you see these extra little spikes and the running didn't limit me. It was the walking. So that's a piece that I have to figure out how to incorporate. It's, and it's, you know, if you take like, a, this is a fairly level ultra, but you throw like a mountain ultra into it, then right. it's the hiking up the hill. Right. Now I, I'll throw out one thing I got wrong. And I did have some lessons learned from this that I would love to throw out there. But one thing I got wrong with when I was about 25 miles, when I was at 75 miles or so, I should have brought out my hiking poles. I should have brought those out and I should have taken off my jacket and I should have just started using those to take a little bit of that pressure off my knees. Um, when you, and here, the physiology of this, I think is the right, right way to say it is when you walk, your heels end up well out in front of your hips. And that's why the backs of my knees hurt because you're clawing at the ground and pulling it back. You're clawing at the ground, pulling it back. When you run, you're trying to keep your, your feet closer to or directly under your hips. That's, that's the efficient running. And that, that's how I know the walking was hurting me. But you can take a lot of that uh, pressure off your knee by digging that pole in up forward of your hip and pulling through and using your arms. And if I had done that at 25 miles, I think I would have gotten to a hundred. So I think that was, that was one mistake I made. I had them. And here's the problem, much like the comment about why don't you walk in training? I don't want to be that guy walking. Right. <laughs> right? And then when you think about it's okay to be that guy wearing your medal on a walk. Well, you really don't <laughs> want to be that guy with poles, just like out but why? I mean, that's, that's so dumb. That is so dumb, right? I mean, ultra is dumb enough as it is, you know, and, and you guys saw how I, like, I gave up running the 730 miles to prepare for this. I, I gave that up and I'm going, I'm running almost nine minute miles sometimes on these runs. Why can't I just say, well, I'll walk some 13 minute miles, you know? So I need to get over some of these, these, you know, preconceptions of what a runner is, and I need to start training for the event. Now, one thing I won't do is I'm not wearing one of those uh, banana hammocks. I mean, you say to that the now. ultra team. We will see. No. We, we will see. I mean, there, so there are you, you, you all have made fun of me when I've said before, you can tell who the ultra runners are when you get out on the trail. This is how they have their yeah. poles. They're walking more. I mean, this is, I mean, so, so Eric, if I were to see you on the trail right now, you would probably, you know, minus the metal, you would probably look like, like a, like a, like a marathoner, but George and I saw a guy in a buttoned up flannel two weeks ago, right? He was, oh, yeah. he had on running shorts, hokas, 
and then a, a flannel button down shirt. Yeah, yeah, that is not a that is not a road marathoner. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a couple lessons learned. I, I wanted to make sure we got out there. So sure. one was train for every aspect, including the walking. That was number one. Um, number two, I, I said I wore both watches, and I was gonna immediately. Immediately, Michelle's eyes rolled, which was really funny because she knows that one of them is her watch. You said um, I wore my Garmin on one hand and my Coros on the other. <laughs> like that's not your Coros. You and George oh, suffer from the same disease here. Like <laughs> I wore, I wore the the watch that Michelle gave up and sent to me because she hated it. Well, <laughs> it did Michelle's you get elevation, watch. Michelle? When you give somebody a gift, do you still refer to it as yours? <laughs> I don't. That's a good point. So, um, so let, let me get through the, the lesson learned here. Uh, Koros has a cool function called the nutrition reminder. And I set it up at 45 minutes. And it was really annoying during the first few 10 hours of the race because I was eating every lap. It was very essential as the night wore on and more things started getting into my head and I started to stop thinking about what I was doing. So every 45 minutes, it had a distinctive type of buzz it did and it put a milkshake on the screen and I thought that was just hilarious. <laughs> um, so that was cool to have on the one wrist. Now, can you set a 45 minute timer on your Garmin? Yes, do it. Don't go buy another watch. Don't go buy, and whatever you do, don't, don't go buy a Coros. Um, but, just get um, one for Michelle. <laughs> yeah, the, the second piece to that though was I can't tell you what it was doing, but the Koros buzzed at me every one to three minutes. And it didn't tell me why, it just buzzed. It wasn't a lap, it wasn't a heart rate thing, it wasn't, it wasn't anything, it just randomly buzzed at me. And I, I thought at first it was trying to connect to people's phones as I was passing people, and then it was like saying there's a Bluetooth available, blah, blah, blah. It started doing it in the middle of the night when all the 12 and six hour people were gone, and I'm out there in the middle of nowhere by myself. So unless, like there was some dude in the woods with a phone and his Bluetooth on. So that got really annoying. So yeah. the, the lesson learned there is figure out what settings turn off stuff that's in the background that you don't really need. Um, I will say one more thing about the chorus though. It did have a low heart rate alarm. And every time I got under a hundred beats per minute, it buzzed. And that was pretty cool because I could meter my walking effort because what I, what I started um, early in the race was before I crossed the start finish line and started running again, I always wanted to have my heart rate under hundred beats per minute. And for me, that, that makes sense. Not for everybody. I know that doesn't make sense. For you have a particularly low heart rate. Yeah. Right. I was, I was hitting at the highest I was trying to hit was 30, 135. And at the lowest I was trying to get, or I was trying to get under hundred before I hit the start finish line again. So I was kind of metering my effort in that walk section. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. Um, did the, did the chorus and the Garmin give you the same GPS distances? Did they give you the same data? They were Just about a mile curiosity. off. They were about a mile off at the end. Okay. And Michelle, to your to your question, the chorus made it look like I was climbing the entire time. So the elevation is still broken. Yeah, it's still broken. Okay, it's you completely can have broken. It still then. <laughs> yeah, it's completely broken. Um, but otherwise, it sounds like you liked the chorus, the data that it gave you. I enjoyed the fact that it gave me that low heart rate alarm. That is also a Garmin function. I didn't set it up. I didn't actually set it up on the chorus. It just did it. I'm not sure why. Um, so, I, but I did like those two functions. I'll agree with that. I um, mean, one mile variance over 94 miles. On a loop. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's really good. Really good. Um, the, the other thing was I never had to charge the chorus, but it did go down to 14% at the end, which most people would, 
be kind of like, huh? Because it's supposed to go for a few days, hundred mile race, and it's buzzing at me every one to three minutes. I think that's what drove that. That killed it. Did you that have the course it. in the chorus? No. Because the I'd buzz typically it. a light buzz like that every so often is indicative of like a GPX file, but then you're off course. So I don't know what that is though. No, I don't, I don't know what it was either. Um, now, so about three quarters of the race, this is the thing that annoys me about my Garmin. I don't have it set up to where I can tell what the battery level is. So about three quarters of the race, I just grabbed my battery pack. I plugged it in and I carried that for a, a lap. And I just kept my thumb on the back of the watch to see if it would keep my heart rate. Um, but it stopped measuring heart rate altogether and it didn't measure it for the rest of the race, hmm. which really annoyed me. And I don't, I don't know why that happened. Um, it charged up to well over 70% in that one lap and it, it was great, but it, it, it didn't, um, the heart rate didn't come back on for some reason. It works now, so it's not like it's broken. I don't know what happened. You're saying so. you took your garment off your wrist, plugged it into a portable charger, but still carried it with you. Yeah. And, and, and was, and you were able to continue to let it run while, and it was yeah. continuing to gather data. Yeah. So you're able to charge it in use. Right now, Grace. So Grace has my old 735 XT and that watch had a clip on uh, charger instead of the one that plugs in the backside. And so you could actually wear it, still get heart rate data while you were running. Um, that's pretty cool. But the new charger where you plug it in the back, like most other watches, it doesn't allow for that. So, but I don't even know if I had to charge it. Uh, I might not have, I didn't have it set up to where I could see the battery. I don't know how to do that. So yeah, it's, I should, I should. All right. So you mentioned nutrition and you had the nutrition alarm going on one of the watches there. Um, what did you actually take in as nutrition? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. So I brought a good amount of stuff from our ultra stash, you know, including spring energy gels and, um, yeah, because you're able to stop and pick things up every lap, yep. right? Brett and I set our chairs up right on the edge of the course, um, and all of our stuff, <laughs> all of his stuff, he had a bag. He had a bag, one pair of shoes. He had his, the shoes he was, I want to get into that. That was, that's for another time. <laughs> um, but uh, I chose and I deliberately set myself up though to do just course food. Um, and you know, going back to training, I've been training myself for this since I was in high school where I used to run home after school, make and eat a pot of spaghetti, immediately run back to um cross-country practice, do cross-country or track practice. And so like I've, I've been the person who can eat and just literally put his shoes on, go for a run for my whole life. So course food doesn't bother me, but this run, I wanted to try the different course foods that were there and see what did and didn't work for me. And, and then try also just to eat things that I thought looked good at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, instead of trying to force myself to eat certain things. And so what I was doing, George is, uh, every other lap I was drinking 14 ounces of something. And based on how I felt, I would either go with an electrolyte drink or water. If I ever felt like I was getting dehydrated, I would do two laps with the bottle. And then at the end of each lap, I'd just fill it up and throw it in my chair. So I would come by and grab it on the next lap. But with the eating, it was just every lap, try to eat something. And when the, when the alarm went off, try to eat double whatever I was eating. Um, I ate a whole lot of oatmeal cookies. I had a whole lot of, um, I said Nutter Butters at one point, but they weren't, they were the little cream filled, uh, Oreo looking ones, not the chocolate ones, but the, the mm -hmm. vanilla ones. Um, I had a whole lot of peanut butter and jelly. They actually made peanut butter and M&M sandwiches. Those are pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome too. <laughs> um, 
I, only I, only at an ultra race where yeah. you see a peanut butter and M&M sandwich. I never craved true candy. They had gummy bears. I didn't crave it, so I didn't touch it. I never craved um, salty stuff, so I didn't touch like the chips or the the pretzels. And I think that's because I was really doing well with the electrolyte drink. I did, however, eat four or six pieces of pizza, big pieces of pizza, cheese pizza, because they brought it out and I said, wow, that looks really good. And I took two pieces, folded it in half, and I just kept going and eating that. And then I came around again and they were still there. So I took two more pieces, folded it in half, and I ate that. And then I think the next two laps, I ate, I ate one piece each lap. So I guess it was six pieces. They did hamburgers at one point, grabbed one of those. Um, I guess another, yeah, another aspect of this is one of the reasons why this kind of race suits me is I don't stop. I never sit down. I never like I stop to grab the stuff and go at one point well, for, for a good portion of the race. Like there was this lady and her dog standing at the corner of the aid tent. And so she's like directly in your way of getting to the food. And I decided that Tim had set her there so that people wouldn't run through and like knock over stuff as they came through and grabbed it. But no, she was just trying to encourage the runners until someone must have said something to her, like, get out of the way. And they they started to figure this out. And as I started to come through in my 10th and you know 15th and 20th lap, they're like, do you need something? And they're like, don't even say anything to him. He's just going to run up, grab something and keep going. Because <laughs> that, that's what I do. Uh, so everything was eaten on the move. And I think, so that was like my last lessons learned is, if you don't have to stop, if you don't have to pee, if you don't have to tie your shoes or change yeah. something, don't, don't stop do moving. Right. right. Um, yeah. And the I more, think that the more things you can do while moving forward, just keep exactly. moving forward. Yeah. If there's three something minutes, you can do on the run, do it on the run. Yeah. And three minutes goes by like that yeah. in an ultra. And then yeah. you're so, so yeah. Well, and, and I think that, that, I mean, like when it comes to putting things in your pockets, like, get them in your hands and then start running as you put them in your pockets. When it comes to like changing clothes, when it, obviously when it comes to eating and drinking, like you're saying, I mean, there's no reason why you need to stand still and eat a pizza pizza. Right. No. Um, and I would say start thinking when you're that 0.6 miles from the finish or half mile from the finish where your stuff is, what you're going to do mm-hmm. and be like, okay, if I'm going to stop and get something to drink next time I come around, I'll get my headlamp. If I'm going to do this next time I come around, I'm going to do this. But also, if you've got the box open and you know in the next 10 laps you're going to need to get this stuff, pull all that stuff out and throw it in your chair. Don't have to open the box again. And, you know, those sorts of things, they seem very small, but they add up over the course of, you know, I ran 58 laps. They add up. Very good. That's a great question. Eric, at the end of it all, um, when you stop, what were the end results? Kind of where you place age group overall, what'd that look like? So unless they posted something today, I don't know. Um, I, I, I checked about an hour before we, we started recording and I hadn't seen it either. You right. said you were in fifth and we were on fifth or sixth at one point. So, so I went, so I was about 11th at the 10 hour point, worked myself up to fifth. Uh, when I finished, when I stopped moving, I was back to sixth and the, the guy right behind me was a seventh place runner and he, he was going to surpass me. He was doing really well. His goal was to get to a hundred. He was going to get there. So I didn't finish under seventh, um, age group wise. Uh, one of the guys who was in the top three, went over a hundred miles is the same age group as I am. So, you know, I was behind him. 
Um, it, I'll say this though. I, I, oh, and I got 95.68 miles. So, you know, I, you know, I, I count the whole thing as a success. I obviously feel good about it just based on what we've talked about. Um, is it disappointing that I didn't get to a hundred? Eh, a little bit, but I look at it more as all the stuff I learned in my first true solo attempt at 24 hours and a hundred miles. Cool. Um, and I, I count. Again? So if you asked me Sunday or Monday or sometime like early yesterday, I would have said I didn't. not ever. <laughs> I didn't then, ask you then. But, but last night I was walking with Melissa and I said, you know, I, I think I would do it again. I think I would even do that race again. Hmm. Um, I, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. part of my mentality. It's just like the mentality of signing up for the race when I was injured. It's I'm a, I'm a rose colored glasses, glasses half full. I want to be challenged. I want to go back and do better than I did last time. And I always think I can. So yeah, Man, I might do it again. Is, this this sport is stupid with two O's. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> um, so last question here, um, and this is kind of, goes along with the question that Michelle just asked you. So, so talk, talk to us about that moment where you said I'm done because you, like you said, you still had three or four hours. You still had a little bit of a belt buckle buffer. Um, but, but you were still about five miles short of a hundred. Talk to us about like that moment and, and what factored into that decision and ultimately what the deciding factor was. Oh, that's good. Um, so I mentioned that the last 0.65 0.65 miles. I think they took me 24 minutes, something along those lines. And that gave me a lot of time to think. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, and yeah, it took me 24 and a half minutes to walk 0.68 miles. <laughs> and uh, what was going on there was I was just kind of stumbling. I never stopped. I maybe I went to the bathroom a couple of times or something, but I never stopped. But I saw the hundred miles slipping through my fingers because not, not like I couldn't do it. I had four hours to walk three laps. Um, it's because it wasn't racing anymore. I wasn't running anymore and it wasn't fun anymore. And that last one, George was probably the one that tipped me over the edge. Um, and it wasn't fun because I wasn't racing and I wasn't running anymore. Um, on top of that, I, I don't think I could. Um, as I came across the start finish line, uh, Brett, and I've got to mention this, Brett had been like sleeping in front of the fire in a chair for hours. Uh, Brett had a really hard outing. Um, he had a lot of chafing. A lot of chafing. But to his credit, Brett got up and he walked up to me and I, and I said, I said, man, I'm done. And he, he thought at first, I think, I think he thought I, I was like at a hundred and I said, I, I said, no, no, I'm not done as in I finished a hundred. I'm done as in I can't go anymore. And he could see that I wasn't even walking straight at this point. Um, and I, I said, I, he's like, you need to sit down and you need to sit down by the fire because you're going to get cold really fast. Um, and he had experienced that. So he kind of directed me to a chair and he sat me down and he said, okay, what do you need? This, that, and he started like just taking care of me. And he's like, all right, if we're going to, if you're done, let's, I'm going to go fill the car up with our stuff. I'm going to put everything away and then we can get out of here. And, um, he, he went and did that. And then he came back and I had instantly fallen asleep. Uh, and he came back and woke me up and, um, he said, um, 
He said, are you sure you want to do this? And the reason he was asking, he was going to take off my ankle thing and go throw it in the bucket. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's, I told him what I just told you. I'm not running. I'm not racing. It's not fun anymore. And um, he said, okay. So he took that thing off and he threw it in the bucket. And then he and Tim Waz came over and they were, tr- they were helping me get up. And when I finally was standing, cause I, I couldn't stand up, you know, I could barely move. And when they got me standing, Tim's like, now, what are you at? And I said, I'm in like 96 miles. He's like, look, you've only got three laps to go. He's like, just get out there and do it. And I was like, Tim, great race. Really appreciate everything you did. This is, you know, it's been a, it's been an experience, but not only don't I, and I can't do it. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go out there, walk, you know, 45 minute laps. And I said, I'll probably end up sitting down somewhere out there and not moving anymore. <laughs> and he's like, okay. I get it. Um, but he was really encouraging. Brett was super supportive and encouraging. And, you know, that's, that's ultra. If, if this had been a hundred mile race rather than a 90 and the, rather than a 24 hour race, do you think you might've done finished it? If it was an out and back, I would have finished it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If it was a, if it was a loop where I had to get back to the finish, I would have finished it. And that's one of the issues with a looped course like this, right? I had 58 chances to call it quits and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I called it quit on the 58th chance, mm-hmm. right? You know, that's, that's part of the problem with a looped course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, somebody else had asked me the same question, but at the that's same time, challenge. you're doing it out and back, you know, you have to get back. So you meet your effort such that you can, mm-hmm. one of the benefits of these looped courses is you can, you can push a little harder because you have that safety net. And that's, you know, that's what I did, you know, and taking this all back, like, like I'm 49 years old, right? Like, well, maybe you can't do this, you know, and all that stuff. You got to remember, I only had four weeks of training for this after Blue Ridge. Right. And my Blue Ridge training was interrupted seriously by COVID and, and uh, food poisoning poisoning. Mm -hmm. and then all the training before that was really compressed into i think it was a five-week period because i was coming off of a hip injury so i look at this as a tremendous success you know kind of capping off the year of training for this and definitely not a, a limit you know it's not a it's not a ceiling here yeah so right on yeah don't get me wrong i'm not trying to second guess your accomplishment in any way but ah yeah. I, and and I had I didn't have in my head. I got to ask him the tough question here. Um, <laughs> but just as you were describing it, it just it just kind of occurred to me, and I was wondering because I because I was sure you had thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to ask actually. <laughs> no, it's it's. I think it's an important question because you only had three oh. more laps. It's it was just three more laps. It was less than four miles. You run you run more than four miles every day. You know, or it was just over four miles. You know, like yeah, all that stuff's true. It's All important. I just true. didn't think you'd want to answer it right yet. <laughs> no, I did want to answer it. Cause I want people to hear that. Right. What, on that last lap, what, what really dug it into me was I rolled my ankle so badly that I, well, it, it didn't hurt. It was just the way it happened. I ended up in the bushes off the trail because I couldn't stop. You could, yeah, you could you could catch yourself. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. catch myself. Yeah. And all I could think of was I just landed in a, a, a puddle of pee that I left on the last lap, <laughs> you know, and I didn't, but th- the point was like, 
this is somebody else's pee. Yes, somebody else's pee. This this is not fun anymore. This is yeah. not racing. This is uh, it's become stupid with three O's or maybe mm-hmm. stupid with a U, like you usually spell it. <laughs> Eric, we're proud of you, man. Wear the wear, wear the medal with pride. So, all day long. Eric, is this? Are you good for like nothing big the week of Christmas? And then you're just good till January, or do you have something else hiding in the calendar? Skinny Turkey, the Thanksgiving race. That's my next race. I'm going to race the 10K at the Skinny Turkey. I've got the Jingle Bell Run. That's really close to Skinny Turkey, so I might not race that, but I'm going to run that. But before that, um, over the next six weeks, I have the Zwift Racing Series. So I'm going to be racing every Tuesday night. And that sounds small, but that's going to be my speed work. So I'm going to shift back to slow, long miles, speed work on Tuesdays through Zwift, maybe one speed work every couple of weeks on the feet um, and some power walking. Cool. (laughs) Sounds like a plan, man. Very good. All leading up to January. You know it. Michelle, final words? Oh, man. I don't know. I think the 24 hour, I know we talked about the benefit of a loop course, but I there's just something so daunting about the mental barrier of, it just, it does, I've never done either. And it does seem so much easier to think about run the distance than, you know, get to the hundred mile marker in a hundred mile race versus the mental challenge of just going and going and going for 24 hours. Yeah. Like, you know, calling it quits right under 96 miles just speaks to, but that's some tough shit, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying a hundred mile distance race is easy, but just the mental fatigue. Uh, yeah. Be, yeah be, like being presented level. with the opportunity to, to leave the race 58 times, like you said. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought about how, how wearing that would be on you. I mean, the, the closest thing I've ever done is, is having to do workouts that had multiple repeats like yeah. scores of repeats yeah. um, and just tra- having to get up for yet another 400, yet another repeat, yet another one minute surge, something else like that. And it just, just having to, to mentally get up for that so many times. And yeah, it's the same thing, um, except that you did it over the course of 24 hours and I do it over the course of 45 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric, we're proud of you, man. We're excited to, uh, to to see what what you take on next the big thing you take on next post mountain mist that is of course um and then of course we look forward to hearing about the ways that you apply a lot of the lessons you learned from this race uh in your training and racing to come congrats man thank you and i guess my final thought here is good luck to you too i hope it's fun i hope it's grueling i hope you (laughs) mentally overcome all those hurdles they're not walls they're all hurdles um and, and I, I can't wait to hear about it next week when I get to run the interview. So there we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, Michelle, thanks for being here. All right. Have a good afternoon, guys. Eric, thanks for being here, bud. Hey, every time it's fun. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. 
We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here4slayrx, that's the number four, slayrx, Twitter, at official slayrx, and Instagram, here4slayrx, the number four, slayrx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.